Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. I've never talked about current events on this show before. This is a history show, after all, and talking about current events, the now, is sort of antithetical to talking about history, which is the then. But earlier this month, there was some news that came out that was so weird and jived with my interest so much that I couldn't not talk about it. Disney, the world's most powerful media entity, which owns Star Wars, Marvel, and probably everything else eventually, is planning on making a touching, heartwarming, family-friendly movie about a man from Virginia who attempted to colonize Africa in 2014. Some context. The area that this guy, whose name is Jeremiah Heaton, is trying to claim is an area that's just between Egypt and Sudan that neither country wants. Sudan says it's part of Egypt, Egypt says it's part of Sudan, and this area, Bir Tawil, is one of the few areas on Earth that no sovereign nation uh, will touch. Sure, there's Antarctica. Sure, there are various islands out in the middle of nowhere that are not being technically administered by any country. But this is in the middle of a continent. This is on Africa. And why is there a patch of ground between two countries that neither wants? Well, like a lot of things that are wrong with the world, you can blame the British Empire. So, going back to the end of the 1800s, when European countries, when they were busy dividing up Africa, they weren't really concerned about tiny little details like existing ethnic groups, or linguistic families, or national identities, or religion, or anything else that, you know, often determines national borders in places like Europe or Asia. Instead of boundaries following these kind of, like, intuitive and sensical guidelines, the borders of African countries, which started out as colonies and, you know, jurisdictional districts and the like, they were just drawn on a map by European administrators who didn't really know about a lot of the ethnic, national, or religious details of these areas, or if they did know about them, they didn't care. The boundaries were drawn without heed to any of the existing human patterns that normally make boundaries happen. So, in the case of Egypt and Sudan, the British, they drew two borders at two different times, and that eventually led to a hunk of desert between Egypt and Sudan being unclaimed. And to understand why that hunk of desert remains unclaimed, you have to also understand that there's a desirable area right next to it, the Halaib Triangle. That is claimed by both countries. The Halaib Triangle is an area that both Sudan and Egypt want. It's on the Red Sea, it has people in it, and it's fairly large, almost 8,000 square miles, so about the size of four Delawares. The Bir Tawil Triangle, which is right next to it, on the other hand, is not on the coast. It's barren, no one lives there, and it's also much smaller, only about 800 square miles. So it's not even the size of a single Delaware. And by the way, neither of these two areas, these two areas that are contended for uh, between Sudan and Egypt, neither of them are actual triangles. They each have many more than three sides. We are calling them triangles because, I assume, cartographers are crazy rebels who live by their own rules and have a loose and freewheeling definition of the number three. 
1899, the British, they drew a straight line between Egypt and Sudan along the 22nd parallel. And that was pretty much, again, standard operating procedure for European powers in Africa at the time. Get out a ruler, draw a straight line on the map, and call that a border. Actual people living there and established boundaries be damned. This straight line from 1899, that's the boundary that Egypt claims today. That puts the Halaib Triangle, the good part, the part next to the Red Sea, the part where actual people live, that puts that into southeastern Egypt. And that puts the Bir Tawil Triangle, the rocky barren part without any stuff, that puts it into northern Sudan. After 1899, though, the British wised up a little, and they realized that there was a problem with just drawing a straight line on a map and calling it good. Uh, the folks in the Halaib Triangle, who were ostensibly in Egypt, according to this boundary, they didn't really identify with Egypt. When it came time to go to a big city for trade or vacations or for whatever else, they didn't head to Cairo or Alexandria. They headed to Khartoum. So in 1902, the British made a few adjustments to the borders of these African administrative districts that they were messing with and redrew the border to better reflect how people actually used the area. The Halaib, which had been in southeastern Egypt, was now in northeastern Sudan, which was probably more logical for the people who lived there. Meanwhile, the Egyptian border was extended slightly south to encompass a desolate area of desert just below the 22nd parallel. Egyptian herdsmen occasionally used that land for grazing, so the British ceded that land into the northern country because, on occasion, you know, Egyptian folks crossed into there. And that would eventually become known as the Bir Tawil Triangle. So, today, Egypt says that the original border, the straight line, is the correct one. That gives Egypt, the Halaib Triangle, the good one, and Sudan, the Bir Tawil Triangle, the less good one. Sudan, though, they say that the 1902 border is the real border. That gives Sudan the Halaib, and it also says not it to the Bir Tawil, placing it in Egypt. So because of the British Empire's inability to draw a good border in the first place, the Bir Tawil Triangle is in a weird position. Egypt doesn't want it, Sudan doesn't want it, and no one really claims it. Not Egypt, not Sudan, not anyone else. No country like, say, Russia or Sweden or Guatemala has made any kind of legitimate claim on it. It's just sitting there, a desolate patch of rock, smaller than Delaware. And some people have tried to claim Birtawil as their own, just by fiat or declaration, but one guy, Jeremiah Heaton, he actually traveled there to plant a flag in the ground in 2014. And I don't mean metaphorically. This guy actually planted a physical flag in the ground. It had a crown on it and three stars beneath it on a blue field. Because no one else was claiming that land, he decided he would found the Kingdom of North Sudan. And the word kingdom is very important here, because there is a specific reason why this guy journeyed to a desolate patch of ground nobody wants. He traveled there, with his flag, to make his daughter a princess. A real, live princess, with an actual country to be princess of. 
And as of this recording, Disney is making a movie about this. They are making a movie about a man who decided to carve out a chunk of Africa so his daughter could be a princess, and there are many things wrong with this. So let's start with a white person landing in Africa, planting a flag and saying, I own this now. Sure, Bir Tawil is a barren patch of hot rocks that two countries both really don't want, but the optics are still pretty terrible for a Western person to look at Africa and think that they can just break off chunks of it for their own use. And this will be Disney's first movie about an African princess, and it will star white people. Disney has never made a single movie starring an African princess. There are more people from Atlantis who have been Disney princesses than there are from Africa, and the one big movie that they did make about Africa, The Lion King, didn't have any actual Africans in it. It had talking animals. Uh, but once white folks from Virginia show up in Africa, yeah, sure, that's movie fodder right there. And my last big issue, this might rankle a few folks, but my last big issue with this is that I think princesses are terrible. If your daughter wants to be a princess, then she has terrible dreams. Princesses are the beneficiaries of an antiquated and inherently unequal form of government— monarchy that's best left to the dustbin of history. Princesses represent aristocracy, essentialism, inequality, and autocracy, the subjugation of the masses, and hidebound traditions that we really should just leave alone. So if your daughter says, Mommy, Daddy, I want to be a princess, you sit her down, and you give her a copy of, you know, the Constitution, and say, No, sweetie, we live in a democracy, in a republic. Wouldn't you like to be a ballerina or an engineer? And you're probably thinking, Joe, what about the British monarchy? Aren't they delightful? To which I reply, no, they're terrible and they should all abdicate. And you're probably like, well, what about tradition? And my response is, what about it? But that's just me. On the other hand, I sort of admire the inherent silliness of micronations, as some of you might have gathered from my earlier episode about Sealand. Uh, Heaton seems to be really going in whole hog on this thing. And according to his website for the Kingdom of North Sudan, which kind of looks like a real country government website from the design of it. He has opened up embassies, or offices that he calls embassies, in Denmark, Lithuania, the Czech Republic, Sweden, Germany, and the U.S. This is not to say that those countries have actually recognized him, though. And that's what really counts. Just declaring yourself a country, that's not enough. If you don't have international recognition, you're not actually a country. You're just some people with a flag, and no matter what Eddie Izzard says, having a flag is not all that matters. For example, when Kosovo recently declared itself to be a country, there was already an existing Kosovar identity. There was a culture, there was a tradition, there was a people, there was a Kosovarness that everybody kind of understood had a certain amount of legitimacy, and it was recognized. Making a country out of whole cloth is not something that you can actually do. Uh, But nevertheless, Heaton has started a crowdfunding campaign to support his new kingdom, and he claims that he wants to use the land to study food scarcity and agriculture. Um, I suppose that's mildly noble, but it seems improbable that he'll succeed in doing anything other than standing on some desolate rocks in an area that is, again, smaller than Delaware. The history of race and colonialism in Africa makes this all very uncomfortable, but... On the other hand, as doomed and insane as they are, 
I liked the idea of crazy people yelling at the world and announcing that they suddenly have a country, even if they don't. I don't know what to think about this. It's amusing. And if I didn't dislike monarchy so much, I might even find the princess part sort of touching. But ultimately, given the historical context, as amused as I am by this, it is probably best that the Kingdom of North Sudan remains given over to rocks and wind that nobody wants. I don't have a crowdfunding campaign for a country, but I do have a crowdfunding campaign for this podcast. And I want to thank individual supporters who have given to Interesting Times on Patreon, like Michael Ferreira. Michael Ferreira, you are fantastic. Thank you so much for your support. You are a righteous dude. If you want to become a supporter, go to interestingtimespodcast.com and click on Support IT on Patreon. Uh, we are on iTunes. Uh, please subscribe. Give us a review and a rating. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Uh, we're also on Portland's X-Ray FM on Thursdays at 9 o'clock and 9.30 and 11 o'clock and 11.30 during the Tom Hartman Show. Tune in and listen to us on the air. Uh, thank you guys all for listening, and I'll see you next week.